Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, we hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we are passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow. And I'm Dwayne Drawn. Through our 40 years of combined dirt under the nails experience, we look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Welcome back to episode two of the Outer Spaces podcast. This is your host, Joshua Gillow, and co-host here, Dwayne Drawn from sunny Chicago. How you doing, Dwayne? I'm doing pretty good, man. And it is sunny here today, too. Yeah, really? It is. Pennsylvania yeah, it is. and Chicago, sunny at the same time. Wow. Yeah, it really is. It's windy as hell, but yeah. it's sunny. It's pretty common for you guys. You guys get blown around all, all the time out there, don't you? Yeah, I, I know a lot. <laughs> I actually go up and <laughs> test it out from time to time. <laughs> hey, you like it about, what, three, 4,000 feet up, don't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get some serious winds up there, too, man. I can serious. imagine, for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so today we're going to talk about whether or not you should charge for outdoor living design. And, you know, Dwayne and I over the last 20 plus years have started out not charging for design and and eventually realized the the need to do that. And to, today we want to kind of unpack that for you, tell you a little bit about our travels and our journey with that uh, topic and how we're doing it now and what we see out in the industry, what's being, you know, what's, what's really working successfully and what we're seeing that's not working. So hopefully you can take some nuggets from this conversation and be able to implement it in your business. And as always, if you guys have any questions, reach out to us. We're here to help. We're here to serve people and we're here to help you with your business and grow. So never, never be afraid to reach out. So Dwayne, tell me about what kind of spun you around from going from free design where you didn't charge at all for it until the fact that you realized you had to does it you know charge for your design how, how did that, how did that I, happen for you because i started a design firm <laughs> that's that's a good thing yes. yeah i sold all the equipment and all the tools and all the trucks and the whole construction side of the business i got rid of it all and i started a design firm <laughs> and I learned really fast that if you start a design firm, you have to charge for a design or you're going to that go broke. <laughs> now, did you ever charge before when you had your brick paper uh, patio business? No, I was um, how the de design firm got started. Well, we were testing it. And like we were, I mean, we were going out for years. I mean, we ran the, the paper patio business for about nine years. And for years, it was just, it was part of, it was the nature of the beast. I mean, you draw a design, you mean, to get the job. So I think we ran like 155 appointments a year. And so we drew 155, 170 designs just to get 52 projects. And so that was sort of um, how it went. But these weren't really, they were nice patios. I'm going to look back. I'm not going to talk bad about myself. I mean, I drew some really nice patios, but they were nice patios. They weren't really you know what I mean? The, this new world of outdoor living space. Closer to the end, before shutting down, we were starting to draw some really neat outdoor living space, but they were still nicer, nicer patios. Now, when did you have your other business from roughly what year to what year when you were? 
doing that. If I do the math and the years don't line up, everybody's going to think I'm telling lies. So I don't really know the years, but I'm going to say from 2003, 2004 to 2013 was the final was the final shutdown. Like um, the last job was August. We got into it July and we finished it close to just, I, I remember that my family moved in August to Chicago in 2013 and I had to stay and fly back and forth to get the job done. So it was 2014, 2013, 2014, it shut down. Nice. So do you think you learned a lot during that time about uh, what it took to, to be able to charge for design and, and you know, all the different... Uh, you know, reasons why you might do that? You know, Joshua, I don't think during that time, the design, like I said, still wasn't, it was still a contractor mindset. It was still, you mean, do whatever it takes to get the job so we can close the deal and we can pay the bills. So it wasn't really the design base. It's, I started messing with the 3D software and I realized that for years that I was never really, I was able to relay my designs, but some of the crazy shit that was coming out of my head, it couldn't be relayed that well on the paper. And when I got into that 3D, all that stuff that was in my head and I was dreaming about, I was able to really start punching it down on paper. So it still wasn't really a fee-based thing because we were still trying to get work. Yeah, I think that's how most of us start out. Yeah, I mean, most of us start out that way where, you know, we see we have a business. We said, all right, well, we just took a hobby and created a business out of it. Things start taking off and you're like, holy crap, like I don't want to put, uh, you know, a fee in front or some kind of money in front of the opportunity to be able to bid this project. So why not just do a free design and uh, it won't take us too long, right? Spend a couple hours, whatever, taking measurements and do the design and then find out that, you know, they, they eventually look at it and say, that's nice, but somebody else gave us one that was nicer. So all that time that was, you know, invested in that client thinking like we had a really good chance of getting this project to all of a sudden find that that's not the case, that someone else won the project. That's that's really what spun us around, you know, for close to, I don't know, probably four or five years in the very beginning. We didn't charge for design. We did everything by hand. So it was hand sketches. And then I went and bought one of those little rubber stamp kits. I don't know if you can buy them anymore, but they come in a box. You have all these different, uh, it's mostly for landscaping because you could draw the hardscapes by hand. It was all in vellum and on paper because that's the kind of stuff that we learned in architecture school is how to do that for buildings. But I was like, I'll extrapolate that out into the uh, outdoor living world. And at that point, it was patios and landscaping. There wasn't much outdoor living in that. So, But laying that all out, I would have the hardscape all laid out nicely. I'd color it in. And then I would take uh, these rubber stamps that had different contours on them uh, so they look like different bushes and I would take it and hit it with the ink and then stamp it hit it with ink and stamp it and I did that all the designs that way and then I would color all those in because uh, I was never gifted with a great hand for design that's why 3d design came very natural to me because it did all the all of that for me I just had to figure out and, and organize everything but anyway so that's how we started out but I'd do those designs on the weekend and then try to sell them during the week and you know it was a tough market, man. It was that was back. Well, let me think. That was back in the late '90s, early 2000s when we first started that, and then things ramped up until 2007, 2008, and a lot of things changed. And that's where technology started to catch up. We started to get the 3D options on the market, and you know, I made some transitions between hand sketching and all that, and the rubber stamping, and then over to Dynascape for a little while, and then jump from Dynascape into Structure Studios. Because back then, Dynascape said, I called them and talked to them, and they said, we have no interest in going into 3D. So uh, I said, well, 3D is the wave of the future. You're either going to be in it or out of it. So went over to Structure Studios. That's all they did. And we've been with them ever since. They've been phenomenal for what we've been doing. But anyway, 
as far as the you know the charging side i just got tired of burning weekends up and i did it for many years where we do it for free and i'd be like i'll just catch a i'll catch my time i'll, I'll build it into the project and we'll be fine but the problem is that i was spending so much time designing and not as much time collecting money for those designs through the build that i something had to change i mean it was eventually when you have a good solid spring and you see lots of designs coming in and you're designing a bunch and you're sending them out and you're not getting the bids, say you're only closing at 20, 30, 40%, which Dwayne, believe it or not, that's the industry average. It's about uh, 30 to 40% closing. That's a lot of wasted time. And I didn't have that kind of time to waste anymore. So we had to change it up. And I didn't want to be charging a consultation fee, like pay me to come out and look at your place. I never liked that. I always felt that felt a bit slimy. Yeah, so I was like, that was never my thing. I know a lot of guys do it, and if you do, that's fine, but that's that was never a thing for me. So I said, you know what? If just charge them a small fee to make sure that they are committed to us as the actual builder, that we're going to spend our time and do this, then why not? So that's what we did, and immediately it broomed a ton of people because a lot of people didn't want to pay for design or didn't see the value in it. So that made my life easier because I only had certain clients in to look at because they... I only went on those meetings because they were already ready to pay for design. They knew that was coming and, you know, we would do great with that. But how was your journey into that, Dwayne? Like I said, we we had a design. It actually wasn't a design. Let me take it back to the beginning. It actually really wasn't a design firm. It was a 3D rendering company. So there was a couple other companies that launched off. And it, this is early when 3D um, hit because just like you, Joshua, we were playing off of a Dynascape in the beginning. And... I started on Dynascape. I ran it for several years, did very well with it. I, we were really probably some of the only companies that was drawing like professional designs on, you mean, nice layout paper on Dynascape. So, matter of fact, it would piss me off if a client was looking at another design that was hand sketched compared to what I was drawing on Dynascape. And stuff like that would just drive me up a wall. Like, are you serious? Like, I mean, we're not even close to apples and apples. So, when I switched to 3D, I started getting a lot of phone calls from out of state. You know what I mean? People calling from all over the country. Hey, can you draw this for me? Um, I got this idea. Can I'll give it to you. Can you do it for me? And then actually, uh, one of the companies that created the mod system for Unilock, uh, they made like the outdoor grills, the fireplaces and stuff like that, called me up and I went to go meet them out in uh, Wisconsin. And so uh, I spent several days with them talking about, you mean, the industry where it's going. And, and like we were just at the beginning edges of 3D. And um, they ended up selling the company to Belgard, and that's what Belgard is now, their 3D system. And I knew there wasn't a position for me if I would have sold and went to Belgard for that big conglomerate. The guy who owned the company, he was going to get the bigger pay. And so um, I decided to do something different and just take a shot. I still, I look back and like pinch myself. I still can't believe we did it, but we shut down the company and we we started, we said we were going to render for people all over the country and the rendering, that was a horrible idea. The amount of business that we were getting, it could not, the volume, like you needed to draw almost 300 designs to make a living and the stuff they were giving you, you know I mean, their cousin or their grandma or their girlfriend would give you measurements and none of the measurements okay. So we had to now go directly to the homeowner and start drawing designs directly to the homeowner 
which we knew there had to be a design fee for that. It wasn't hard to transition to that because that's what I used to do for the brick paper business is go directly to the homeowner. So just building that infrastructure up and getting that change to that side was different. And then trying to figure out how much do you charge? You know I mean, like, yeah, we start. Everybody starts off at this low end, and then you keep going up and up and up until you finally get some pushback. And I think one of the prices was was really based around my rent. I mean, I was always scared about paying rent, so I had one design fee that was pretty much based around. So if I close this one, I could pay rent. So <laughs> that <Yeah>. was, <laughs> the that's rent where it was. Design but, strategy. Yeah, I would go in there like, shit, I got to pay rent, man. I got to pay rent. You got, you like, I'm thinking in my head, you guys got to say yes. You got to say yes, got to say yes, because I got to pay rent. I got to pay rent. You know what I mean? It was, you know, what you focus on is what you got. And I was just always focused on that. I wasn't really focused on anything else. Absolutely. No, it's, uh, I know in the beginning when you first start out, it's, it's nerve wracking because you got a lot of bills coming in. You have a lot of stuff happening. And next thing you know, you're like, all right, I'm going to make my client's uh, ability to say yes to me tougher by putting uh, some kind of an obstacle in the way, a fee or a, or some kind of a deposit for design. And often that pushes, I know that held me back for a long time. And and then I realized, you know what, as the business was growing, that my time is worth, you know, money. And it's worth money to be doing the estimates. It's been worth money to do the design as well. So, you know, then you start thinking, all right, well, how much is that worth? So you say, I don't even know what the, we were one of the first in our industry, in our, sorry, in our territory, in our, our geographic location, it was actually charging for design. Nobody else was. Nobody else that was doing what we were doing, which was hardscaping and landscaping and the beginning of outdoor living, right? That nobody was charging for design, but we were the only ones charging. So that's that made it a, a bit more of a challenge, but I love a challenge. And I believe that, you know, I believed all the way back then that I was worth the time. So we got to do some really cool designs. But what I found myself doing is when somebody would give me 500 bucks to do a design, I'd want to knock their damn socks off. I mean, not just knock them off, but knock them over the neighbor's fence. Like I was like, look, this thing is going to be ridiculous because as a designer, I would see all the potential, right? And I didn't want to talk about budget back then. That was a bad subject. I mean, it's something I love now, but it's something back then I did not want. Because as soon as they would we'd talk about budget, it would be a dream killer. Like I had this idea in my head and I just want to bring it to life. And so many years, so many years, Dwayne, I was told no. Holy shit. So many years of different projects. I, you know, they come in and say, I want a patio. I want this. I want a swimming pool, whatever. And I do a design for them. And, you know, I realized over the years... All those no's were just preparing me for the for the success that's here now, right? Because back then I was doing what I thought was going to be cool. I wasn't listening to them as much. And now I flipped that script. And with all that, lots, let's just put it this way, with all of that experience in designing those bigger spaces, I was able to now flip it and be more focused on that client experience within the space and their comfort and all that good stuff. So it was amazing how many years, if I had a dollar for every time I was told no, or we're not doing that, or we need to do something different. I mean, I could have retired years ago. The point is that it was, it was tough, you know, but I knew deep down that it was my obligation, my, my, my absolute duty and mission to show the client what the, the absolute potential of the space. But what I didn't realize back then is that I was speaking to the wrong people. It wasn't the bad ideas. It was the wrong audience. So what I had to do is clarify who was my ideal client so that when I brought those ideas to the table, they had the ability to say yes where some of the other ones were were not able to say yes because of either their financial situation or the fact that the you know the project was two hundred thousand dollars and their house was only two hundred thousand dollars value. you know what I mean that's not going to work. So I had to really sit down and think about who is who's able to say yes to the type of work that I want to do. It, it makes no difference what scale that is. It's totally up to you guys. But 
The reality is my my client could say yes to a hundred to two hundred thousand dollar project. So I said, okay, now who is that? And then I had to start going backwards, say, what who is my ideal client? I needed to kind of create a profile of them. Okay, you know, the house value is say five hundred thousand dollars baseline uh, and up. Uh, it's typically a nuclear family, a couple of kids. It's the ages of kids are usually pretty young. You know, they have probably two dogs and a cat. I mean, all the way down through to what kind of cars they would drive, where they like to go out to eat, what they did in their spare time, where they traveled. Like these kinds of things I started to really focus on and have conversations with my clients about. And pretty soon I started to get a really clear idea of who my target audience was. And then once I started marketing to that target audience, there was no pushback when it came to costs. I mean, design costs for us are somewhere typically between 2500 and 3500 for design it can go up to 5000 if we do something more integrated but that's for the design and that's a fee only there's no money back during the project none of that stuff but i wouldn't have been able to charge that the first year out i didn't have the experience to demand that kind of value but over 25 years in the industry now i and my team we demand a higher amount because we're going to bring out the best possible solutions we're going to show it to you in a very interactive way that you can see yourself, your family out there enjoying the space. And you're going to see how it's going to not just make your property value better, that's a given, but it's also going to increase your use and love of your space so that you can be home and really enjoying times with friends and family and all that in a space that really speaks to you. So we've been you know, very privileged to be able to work with amazing people, but it's because we started clarifying and I, real- clarifying and I realized that I was speaking to the wrong people. So you can speak all day long at the wrong people and they're not going to be able to buy your services. But once you start understanding who they are and where you got to be, then you can start positioning yourself to be a solution for them. So that's that's one of the early things that I learned. And I wish I would have known that probably 10 years earlier. I'd be a lot further now. But, you know, it always happens at the right time. But it was one of the hard lessons in the beginning with all those no's. Yeah, it sounds like you traveled the same path that we did when it came to the designs and stuff like that, like you would get a project and get a design and you would draw, just all out draw what you want, you know? And it had just, you never really had a discussion over budget, you know, and you didn't want to ask budget. Like, you know, you'd look at the client like, well, you know, I mean, I, if I don't want to hear $5,000 cause you know, I have to draw something out. And then you draw something that's just out of this world. Like I look back and like, man, like I wish I could in some way fix some of these you know what I mean, designs that I did for these people in the beginning when they hired us to design these things and they're looking at me like, Dwayne, are you crazy? Are you insane? But the questions weren't asked. The other thing too that that's that's very seldom really talked about in the industry is when you do charge for a design, now you're on the hook for the design. And what happens is it actually creates you, it creates the designer in you. It's probably the best words to say is that when you start drawing these designs and you start charging, you're going from client to client to client, and you see that this client is willing to pay you whatever your fees are. I mean, if your fees are two grand, if your fees are 10000 if your fees are 20000 whatever your fees are, when you have a client that's willing to pay for these fees to do these drawings and designs, now it's time to become the designer. And so you research more. Like, I have so many different libraries saved up of different styles of architecture, different materials, different pieces, looking at different other landscapers. I mean, there's just folders and pictures and pictures and pictures of just stuff that's all over the place because now I want to really wow the client at their range, but also mimic their architecture. There's a lot more to it because now I got paid. Because And now if I, like, 
if I do something I, I don't feel like I'm really getting paid for it, I don't really want to do it anyway. Like who nobody really wants to work for free. A lot of times in order to learn some things, I, I've learned too is if you want to learn a trade, it's best to learn a trade for free. Don't really get paid to learn your trade. You I mean figure it out. Matter of fact, you pay a little bit of money to learn to trade. For some reason you 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 seem to learn better. But once you get to the point where you're you're going somewhere, charging a fee is just really what it takes to get moving. No, you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, it's the cool part about, you know, design is is that anyone can do it. As long as you're somewhat creative and you like to solve problems, you can easily do it. It's a matter of learning a new tool, whether you're going to hand sketch, whether you're going to put it in a 3D model, whether you're going to, you know, whatever. It doesn't really matter how you communicate that design, but it's a matter of solving problems. And you're, all design really is, is you're taking ideas from your head and you're giving them to someone else in a visual form so they can form an opinion in their head, right? So they look at your solution visually. Because if you use words, words are great, but they're only as valuable as the pictures that they create within the, the your prospect's mind. So if you say paver patio to you, you see one paver patio. To them, they might see something totally different. So a design is a visual communication tool for that. So the thing that often happens, and I felt this way for years in the very beginning, even though I went to school for architecture, and all that, that's great. But the problem is I felt when I started designing, I'm like, I didn't go to school for landscape architecture. Like I'm going out now and I'm telling people it's gonna cost them 30, 40, $50,000 for this project. And what if they realize that this isn't, I'm not really a designer. I'm just kind of doing this to get the jobs. You know what I mean? I'm just doing this and I'm trying, I'm coming up with new ideas, but I don't have any, you know, letters after my name or anything like that. So, you know, that whole imposter syndrome sets in and you start thinking, well, maybe I can't do it. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this because I feel like I'm lying. But crazy part is, Dwayne, and I know we've spoke a lot about this, but crazy part is with that, once you start, as you mentioned, start charging for your design, you start realizing that you have to perform because they've paid you. If it's free, you're like, all right, well, I get this done. If I do an all right job, big deal. I got five more coming and I got so many of these free designs. If one in five hits, I'm fine. But when you start charging for it, there's a higher demand on a good, awesome, not good, but an awesome solution. So you now can cherry pick the projects that you truly want to work with and the clients that have the budget and have the, 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 the overall project that you're excited about. And you get to pick and choose that much more. So the cool part is that or the big thing is that you have to manage that mindset. You have to manage the mindset of that imposter syndrome and realize that you don't need letters after your name. I certainly didn't have them. You don't need to have any special Ivy League school degree to do this stuff. It's nothing like that at all. You just have to be creative and be excited and passionate about what you're doing. And when you are those two things, clients will feel it and they will pay you. They will pay you handsomely for your services because they know they can't get anything else just like it anywhere else. But again, if you're not passionate, if you don't value your own time and you constantly think that you're not good enough, then you're never going to get anywhere with it. Yeah, that imposter syndrome is powerful. I think everybody has it in every industry, no matter where they are. I, I think it's just, I, it's something that I have to say, I don't know if we're born with that because we're confident as young kids. I mean, we'll jump off a freaking cliff if it's if our parents weren't there to save us. But somewhere during this path, somebody says, stop being confident. And we sort of lose that that error confidence. I don't know where it happens. Maybe it's when I mean, being spanked, because I'm in this thing now where I will lose my mind if I see a parent spanking kids. Like, I don't believe in that. Don't do it. It's just not my thing. And maybe that's the corporal punishment is what programs you to always be afraid. Um, everything is based on love. So, you mean, if if you feel like you're failing based on love, you mean, you want to be loved. So, 
you have this this feeling of maybe I'm not the guy. So I charge these clients or maybe I'm not the designer or I'm not this or I'm not that. Uh, I want to say, I don't know if I deal with that anymore, but every once in a while it creeps up like, man, do they really just know they just signed with somebody who's who's not really all that? You I mean, sometimes I think it kicks in your head every once in a while, depending on what type of projects you're doing or the level of clientele that you're dealing with. It just depends. But that's a really big topic. And I think that's hindering a lot of people. Like there's a lot of people in our industry, a lot of people who are even listening to these podcasts, they're probably dealing with that now, that imposter syndrome. You mean of, okay, if I charge, that means I now have to become the designer that they think that I am. And the funny part is they already are the designer. That's why the client called them. That's why they they sought them out. They They already were, and they just didn't know that they were. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree, Dwayne. And every one of us has gone through it. Anybody that, that tells you they've never had that in their mind, because the mind is a fickle beast. It's constantly trying to keep you small. So as soon as that kicks in and it, it's, you know, Dwayne and I both say it, it happens to us at times too. See a really big project we go out on and take a look at. I know I've had it. And I'm like, holy shit, this is a big project. I'm like, uh, I, I full confidence the team will be able to take care of it. Right. So we're good there. But there are some times and there's things that I haven't done before. You know, first time you do a vanishing edge on a pool or the first time you're, you know, terracing uh, a property with 20 or 30 foot fall in, in the overall topography and you're terracing it all out and the walls and all these kinds of stuff. It can be terrifying, especially if you're going to design it because once you design your, your overall project goes from being something you just figure out the day you get there or, you know, once the garden hose is laid out, you just make a patio that size, whatever, to something that you actually have to pre-plan for that you have to be way ahead of the game for. So it's really... A, a much stronger commitment, let's put it that way. So when you're now asking someone to pay you up front for those ideas, it does take another level, right? It takes another level of confidence, but I'll say it, it is the most important thing you can do in your business to not only control the quality of lead that's coming in, but also to control the quality of project that you finish with. Because when you have that design and it's laid out really nicely and the clients love it, and then you deliver something even more spectacular than the design, because the design, it kind of gets you about three quarters of the way there. But when you finish that project off and it becomes real and they sit back and you're like, holy shit, that looks nice. And they're bringing all their friends over and they're bragging about it. That's really what it's all about, guys. It's about creating those spaces that they can share with friends and family and create all those memories and the spaces that the kids remember and they have parties there and weddings there and like all these kinds of stuff. I mean, it doesn't have to be a gigantic space. It just has to be powerful to that client. So the important part is to understand that charging for design is a really important part of this entire process in order to help you, you know, weed out those clients. Because if they're not going to pay you for design, let's face it, they're just looking for free shit. And if you're the one out peddling free shit, you'll be the first one to close your doors. Because if you don't value your time, they don't value their your time yeah. either. So it's very simple. Yeah, you can't do any of this, especially when you get to the point where you're just your schedule is just round the clock. You can't do any of this like for pro bono or, or free stuff. I mean, when Ahmed and I were working together, we had we did some philanthropy projects, and uh, these were some amazing jobs, and and they were. I mean, I don't know if you call them free marketing or whatever, but I mean, or it was just to help people. That was, it was a lot of work. You know what I mean? And I still put, and I look at those designs and they still had the same effort and the same energy as I did on a paid design. They were beautiful jobs and just amazing to watch them come together. So, I mean, I guess it just has its times when you can do it or, or not, but it's really, are you in it? Are, are your, is your heart and soul into this industry? Are you passionate about it? I don't think you can chase money in this industry. I don't think it's a money chase. I, 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 think, I think that's one of the biggest issues of our industry is that 
people are in their lanes and figure out where they're going to be. And I think if you charge correctly for your time, what you do, you're going to make a great living. But this is not a paper chase industry. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, knowing your passion, knowing what you're good at and, uh, you know, constantly pushing the envelope through great design or great ideas or, you know, as you mentioned, looking at pictures constantly, you couldn't get a better time in, in human history to be able to see other people's work and see little nuances in it see how you can incorporate some of that stuff into your work so that you can, in, you know, in, impact your clients at a higher level. I mean, there's just so many opportunities now. It's not even funny, but transitioning from, you know, if people are listening here on the podcast and they're thinking, you know, I'd really love to transition from either, you know, from lawn care into hardscape or you're in, you know, the beginning of hardscape and don't want to charge for design because you feel like it's going to be something that's going to kind of make it tougher for you to, to sell your work and to get projects. I would say go a different direction. Learn how to design, learn how to sell. Those two things are important. If you can learn them early, it's gonna save you decades of frustration and wasted evenings. I wish I would have known that when I first started out, but I didn't, and I did exactly that. But anyway, to get those two things nailed down, and once you realize that you are capable of designing, everybody is to a certain level. Some take it to an extreme level, which is awesome, and some just do well, and that's cool too. But the goal here is to learn the fundamentals, learn how to do that. You don't have to go to you know college classes for four years to do that shit. Anyway, anywhere today you can learn. There's lots of different options out there where you can learn how to do this. And once you do that, then you have a superpower. You have a way to be able to create a signature style and be able to solve people's problems from in a very visual way so that you can sell bigger projects too. So if you're just starting out, I would say get involved with someone who can teach you some sales and how to do design work. That'll be your starting point. That'll really help speed your process of success and those higher, more valuable projects. Because typically design is valuable for clients that are doing projects that are say $20,000, $25,000 and more. That tends to be the sweet spot where people start seeing the value in seeing the big idea. If it's a five dollars or $10,000 project, it's a tough sell on a design. If you want to charge them $500 or $1,000 for a design, it's a tough sell because they don't necessarily need that. If they're like, I want a patio, I want a 10 by 15 patio. Like, how are you going to sell them a $1,000 design to do that? It doesn't make sense. And why? Like, why are you even going, like, my thing is if you're selling a job that's like under 20 grand, why are you even going back to your office to, f to estimate it? Like, you should be able to estimate that while you're there. Like, you should have been able to talk to the client over the phone and give them some idea what it's going to be and write it up and sketch it up on a napkin and put it together while you're there. I, I think that's, that's sort of what I think at, at $20,000 and below. Yeah. And again, that's where we found at 2025 and higher is where having a, a design process and designing is really where those projects start to become. So if you're going to become possible. So if, if you're out there struggling, trying to hit that $20,000 mark, it's because you aren't showing your ideas clear enough. Your sales process isn't bringing the client in where they can constantly keep answering the question, the burning question they all have. What's in it for me? Why should I invest this money in this backyard? How's my life going to be better? Right. So if you're not answering that question through your sales process and making it very, very easy for them to see the incredible value you're going to bring to the table and how working with you in particular is going to, you know, give them more than what they could have ever imagined and no one else can deliver that. And it's all through communication. It's all through a sales process. It's all through a design process. It's all the communication side because at the end of the day, that's all we're doing. We're not trying to sell anybody anything. All we're trying to do is help them buy. They're going to buy from somewhere. Might as well be you if it's a good fit. So by learning how to speak directly to clients and to, to get into the emotional side of this transaction, because let's face it, outdoor living is an emotional buy for the most part, right? So 
to get into that side, understand what that all means is going to help guide your clients because most people have never done outdoor living before, Dwayne. They've, they might do it once, maybe twice in a lifetime. It's not like when you go and buy a car, you do that every three to five years, let's say. But when it comes to outdoor living, it's like buying a home. You might do it once or twice in your life. So if that's the case, most people don't have the experience that we have because we do it every day. They don't. So we have to guide them through this process. We have to build the, the rapport and build the trust and build the earn the right to ask certain questions like budget and all this in a process. So that's really the important part about creating that communication between you and your clients so you can become a very, very valuable partner in this conversation and in this project. And that's where you add all that value first so that when it comes time to ask for a design fee or, or deposit toward the project that they're, you know, they're like, of course, I mean, you've already earned it. Yeah, most of the time now, if you really think about it, most of the time now, everybody that you're working with has never, ever, I everybody, every client that I basically work with has never had an outdoor living space before. I mean, because it's such a brand new market. It, it, I did. A, I noticed I did a, like a YouTube video several years ago. It's not that it's brand new. It, it was just only a certain class of people that did it. Like, I mean, outdoor kitchens and fire features, they go back into the 1800s. I mean, so it's not like it wasn't done before, but now there's this huge focus on outdoor living. And one of the biggest issues, and, and one of the reasons why we have this podcast, why we have the design class, why we have all these programs is because there's not enough facilitators to handle the design of the outdoor living is the problem what we're having now. Like, I don't want to I'm not going to say any names of the event. I'm not going to say where the event was because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But I was at this event pre-COVID, so two years ago, and it was sort of an awards event. And we were brand new on the scene, so we really didn't have anything to present. I just I was just invited to go. And everything was just a bunch of pavers everywhere. Just pavers, pavers, pavers everywhere. There was really no design. Like all the stuff that was winning was like, wow, it was just, it was really just a bunch of pavers. I mean, just everywhere, like one color and all over the place. And I remember telling the guy that I was working with, like I said, I don't want to say anything, but I'm like, let this happen next year. We're going to take every event. You know what I mean? Basically, and he just sort of looks at me like, okay. And, um, well, obviously, didn't have it last year because of COVID. So we're going to wipe ass next year and take every event. And the reason why is because we're focused on outdoor living. And everybody else is just focused on a bigger patio or more bricks or more walls or more pavers. And these categories didn't even make sense because they're just a bunch of stuff. So I know my clients, when they're going through the process... When it's done, they are really like, we need to do holy shit cam. You know what I mean? Like, we need to start doing some videos on YouTube and say, holy shit, because that's really what they're saying when they walk outside, like, holy shit. And then the neighborhood doesn't know anything about it. So the neighborhood is brand new. And then I'll get some clients say, well, let me ask my real estate agent. I'm like, please don't ask your real estate agent because they've never really seen anything like this. So they really don't have too much opinions on what we're doing because most people haven't seen anything. So it's just now coming up. And I know for the next 10 years, people who call us up are probably going to be on their first outdoor living space. So this is the industry really to be in at this time and to be in this position to learn how to design and get your get your direction where you need to go. We're at the cups of some of one of the greatest shift in home remodeling outdoor living I think we've ever seen, ever. I absolutely agree and people don't want to increase the footprint of their house but they want more space so that's where it's spilling into the outdoor living space so they're they're expanding their living space via our environment the outdoor space so that's really the cool part about it they want those comforts and features and inside the house they want it outside you know i've been saying that for years in the industry but 
the comfort factor with all this technology is going way up with heaters and better furniture and all that good stuff. So we need to be thinking about the human connection to these spaces and how we're keeping them comfortable and, and you know, making the space as usable as possible. And that's really where you can start you know, two, three, five, even 10xing your average project values by thinking about that client, right? So that all comes through the design. You got to show them the idea. You might have all these ideas bottled up in your head, but it's no damn good if they can't see them. So learning how to design, learning how to sell, learning how to build, all those things are super important. But if you can't sell in the beginning and you can't design it, you're not going to go anywhere with the other side. So it's important to know the front side of the of the machine, if you will, the front side of the business has to be really strong. Uh, and then the back does as well to be able to support that front line. But, you know, what I found over the years is two really, there's two uh, strategies when it comes to, or actually three the strategies when it comes to design, right? With the outdoor living world, if you're a hardscaper or you're transitioning from lawn into hardscape. The first option is the free design, which I don't even think it should be an option, but people are still doing it. They just feel like they're going to make it up on the backside. They'll charge them a couple hundred or a couple thousand dollars more on the backside and they'll, they'll, you know, catch it later. But the problem is that they're doing five designs for every two projects that they catch. So it just doesn't make sense. And then they're going in 50 different directions trying to service all of these different clients because they can't stay focused on one. They have all these calls and everybody has to be handed or managed. And the problem is that they only can spend a very, very small part of their precious time on the good clients and everybody else is getting a little bit of their time too. But imagine if you took, just say it's 50 clients a year that are driving you absolutely crazy to try to handle and you can get it down to maybe 15 or 20 that are really solid, have a decent budget, are excited about what you do, they trust you, they value you, and they're willing to pay you what you're worth. Is it really worth to chase 50 when you could chase 15 to 20 that are gonna be far more valuable than all 50 put together? That's the big question, you know, and oftentimes we feel like we have to do that. It's crazy. When you're in a fight or flight mindset, you don't get that. Like you and I have, I mean, we've traveled this path of opening up our minds and understanding that what we think is who we are and that's what we get in life. And we've made it to that level. And like I think you and I were talking about the other day is that I wonder how many people were trying to tell me up until I was able to make that shift. You know what I mean? Like, was it 10 people? Was it 20 people? Was it 50 people? Then one day it woke up like, dude, stop thinking negative, stop tripping. You mean, get out of that fear, get out of that false mindset and, and get on the grind and start going. And even again today, like we did the first podcast and, and I, I know I made a disclaimer last time, even today, if you heard everything that you heard from the beginning of this podcast to the point where we're wrapping it up right now, I really want you to hear it's your mindset. Even if you think you're not a designer, I was not a designer in the beginning, okay? Yeah, I did go to architectural engineering school, but we didn't learn how to design. I basically learned how to become a drafter. So I knew how to use the tools. I knew how to use the measuring tools. I knew how to use the easel, the board, the eraser shield. Remember that shit, Josh? You remember that one? Yeah, we you, you did the dotted lines. I knew how to use those, but I was never taught how to design. Design is taught based on inspiration. Basically, you're able to open up your world. You're able to open up your mind. You're able to become something that you didn't think you were. I don't, I don't think any designer came into the game realizing they were a designer. I really don't. And, and I really think this, and I'm stepping deep into shit right here. I really think a lot of some of the best designers probably didn't even want to be designers and never even thought about designing in the beginning of their life. Like they just stepped into it like, oh, wow, I love it. And I love the space and I enjoy it. And they became these great architects and designers. But I don't think like, I, I did a guy I was talking to the other day at, um, and I actually mentor, I follow him and didn't realize he was following me. 
And we end up having this long hour conversation, maybe a little bit more than an hour. And I was just like jocking him. And he's jocking me. And I'm like, whoa, this is powerful because his stuff was just unbelievable. And he's like, man, what you do is unbelievable. But I'm like, so who the fuck is, um, who who the mess is unbelievable here? <laughs> who the mess is, <laughs> who the mess is unbelievable here? So um, uh, it was pretty wild. I'm like, man, at the end of the conversation, you know what he asked me? He says, I really called you to figure out if we should be like, are we losing money by not offering 3D in our designs? And I'm like, dude, you're like one of the best out here. You're getting all your stuff sold. Design is just communication. If you're able to communicate to the client and they understand what's being done, you don't have to do 3D at all. You know what I mean? It's just, it, it works for me because that's how I communicate. You're able to communicate on a different mindset. And this guy is just, I mean, just hands down, like one of the number one, number the two in the country, just amazing work. And he's asking me about 3D. Yeah. It's amazing how that works. And, you know, when you start talking to the, to the big brass and the other ones that you look up to on social media and all that, and you realize they're just people like you and I uh, that happen to have a certain passion for something. And you think that they're doing extremely well. You think that they've got tons and tons of money and all that stuff. And you start hearing the real story of the struggles and the mindset shifts they had to go through to get where they are, where the stuff they deal with day to day when it comes to the imposter syndromes and, and all the stuff and the lack of confidence, it would blow your mind if you knew what people struggle with on a daily basis, but you just don't see it, especially today with social media, it's like a highlight reel. You only see the good stuff, right? But realize everybody struggles with that and you're not alone. That's really the cool part about, you know, being able to have a voice here with this podcast is to teach others that, man, I wish I had somebody to tell me that when I first started out because I felt like I was constantly being, you know, trying to be something that I wasn't, even though that I knew deep down I was, but I didn't, didn't know how to communicate it. So, you know, it's, it's really cool, but really, you know, back on, on, side where I was talking about before when I come to the different options for design where you can go the free route. I don't recommend it. I see a lot trying it because they want to just get started and run. But the problem is that they're going to be so bogged down with free shit. They're not going to actually be able to deliver hundred percent to each client. They're just not going to be able to. So the next option would be to go into a, a credit type system where it's a deposit toward the project. So if you say, look, my design fee is going to be say $500 or a thousand dollars. This will cover, you know, your design and your budget study or your design and your proposal and revisions, whatever that might look like for you, then it becomes credit to your project. So therefore, it's an easier transition. A few people feel like, all right, I'm already betting on you. I'm already teaming, you know, betting on your team. And if it doesn't work out, then at least you get paid for your design, and then they have something to work with when you can hand it off to them or however you want to work that ending. But we found the best way, that's the best way to start into charging for design is to go with the credit to the project strategy. The next step, once you get really busy with design, is to go into a fee-based model where you just charge a flat-out fee for it, and it can adjust based on project. But the thing is that it never becomes a credit to the project. It becomes an entire cash flow stream to your business so that you can pay yourself and or if you have a team of designers, that cash flow should cover all their expenses. That's really the cool part about it. So that when you say, I'm going to hire a designer, you say, okay, that's great, but who's going to pay for it? Is the business going to pay for its overhead? Or is the, the net profit coming in going to be able to pay all of the costs that come associated with that designer. So the answer should be yes. You should have enough volume to be able to pay for that designer. And that shouldn't be an expense to the business, shouldn't be an overhead. It should be its own, you know, its own line that way, its own cash flow throughout the business. So the, the goal here is to be able to do that. And if you want to grow your design staff, then you need to grow your designs in general, either through more expensive, you know, adding more uh, cost to that design fee or by volume 
right? So, or how often the person that you work with purchases. So anyway, that's the two main ways to do it. We happen to do the fee-based model. For years, we did the um, credit model and we would give people credit back. But back then, fees were like 500 to 1,000 bucks for design and it was more about getting the project. But now we switched it around a bit and we still get just as many projects and we get paid for the design. But the secret here is when you're gonna do that is you need to add a lot of value first. You can't just ask for big checks for design and not add the value through innovative solutions and different communication strategies for a client to figure out what the best solution is going to be for them. Talking about things like budget, talking about things like hot button, or what is the most important thing that your client really truly wants to achieve, or what the emotional connection is going to be to this project, and how is this project going to actually facilitate that once it's done, and give them the space that they can truly find and, and conquer, or, or not even conquer, find and and live out that, that passion or that emotion that they're really trying to achieve with this space. So once you get into how to have a conversation with a client, and that level so they can see what's in it for them and create a win-win scenario always. Uh, with that being the case, as part of your marketing strategy, as part of your sales strategy, do your, through your sales process, your design strategy, all of that, you can charge, you know, easily charge two, three thousand, four thousand dollars for design and be able to use that as an income stream to your business and also be able to, to get onto the projects that you're really excited about. Now, not everybody is destined to do $500,000 projects. That's fine. You have to pick your lane. You have to find something that you're excited about that gets you excited every morning. And then you can go in that lane. If it's a $30,000 project you're happy with, that is awesome. Just be the very best $30,000 project designer and salesperson you could possibly find or create a team that does that, right? So it doesn't matter the overall scale. What matters is that you're passionate, that you're excited to get up every day and go at it, and that it really fulfills your soul and fulfills your life mission. That's really the bigger piece of all of this because what good is money if you're totally pissed off and you know not happy? If there's no joy, no fulfillment in life, what the hell is the point of having money? So that's, that's one of the big things. So I mean, if you're really looking to start out, I would do suggest figuring that you're gonna charge about uh, $100 an hour for design right? That's a good starting point. Start looking at it and say, all right, well, if it's going to take me about five hours to get the measurements and do this design and present it, then I should charge about 500 for that design. So that, that's what I'm suggesting as being a starting point. I know others that charge a lot more than that per hour. I know that some that charge almost nothing per hour. But if you feel that you're worth $100 an hour, and I feel you are, if you're listening to this podcast, you're looking to increase your ability to serve your clients at a higher level and communicate clearer, then 100 should be your starting point. And that's, I think the whole industry should be at least at $100 an hour for design work, but that includes the measurements, that includes your meetings. Like you gotta put that all together as the package so that if that client decides to cut ties and they wanna go to somebody else, you are fully covered for your time and not just for $10 an hour, at 100 bucks an hour. Cause you'll walk away from that being like, all right, well, next. It's that simple. That's the beautiful part about valuing your time and having enough self-respect to know that your time is worth money you only get 28,000 days if you're lucky on this planet, maybe hopefully more. So value each one of them and, and realize that there are plenty of people out there who will value you as well. Maybe you're talking to the wrong audience if you aren't finding that yet. I'm going to get 28,001, by the way. Yeah, I'm hoping for 40, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, and it's... Uh, you know, that that's that's a big one that's missed. And I actually explain this to clients too. Like when you give them a price and sometimes their face lights up and I'm like, you got to understand there's more to it than just design, you know, like we have to talk. You I mean, I have to set up meetings to talk to you. Um, I have to go measure. I have to research. I got to put files together. There's a lot more that goes into this than just drawing a pretty picture on a piece of paper. So when you see the fee, 
just know that there's a lot more to this than it's, it's almost like when you work with an attorney, like, you know, like you thought that he was going to spend an hour on your case and you're like, damn, it's like five hours, really? And then you see all the other stuff that has to be done. There's a lot more. I mean, the staff has to do their stuff. They got to load you in the system. They got to create these files. There's a lot more to it. And that's even if you let's say if you didn't want to charge for design, you want to do the design for free. If you just charged for the amount of effort it takes to do the measurement, compile the information, get all the files together, at least so your company can recruit that lost, at least just do that. I mean, just do that if you don't want to charge for a design. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you don't, at least cover, at least make sure your company's profitable on doing that side and covering all that information, like the amount of Dropbox folders and files that you have to navigate through, loading everybody into the CRM system. Like we're so detailed now that we actually load every conversation. So everything that's written on a piece of paper on my notepad, when it's done and I have that conversation, we have to log the date we talked to that client and we have to log the notes and information that was said in that in that thing. That way, when because now we're working with 30 and 40 projects now at the same time, when we go back, there's the information is there and we don't forget. Like the first couple months, you I mean first couple clients, I can remember everybody. I can remember everybody's name. I can remember how many kids you had and remember your kid's name just by talking to you on the phone. Now, when you call up and you say, Dwayne, I don't know who the hell you are. You know what I mean? Like there's just so much going on. So we have to keep that information. Yeah, at least charge for that. No, I mean, that's another, another way to look at it for sure. And, you know, at the end of the day, you just want to make sure that you're valuing your time. That's the main thing. Because if not, if you don't value it, no one else will either. So that's the important part here. But if you guys, you know, out there listening, if you're struggling with the idea of how to transition into a, you know, charge model for your designs, reach out to us. I mean, Dwayne and I are here. We're here to serve. I'd love to talk to you about that transition. We've done it already. I've been doing it for, you know, 25 years now. And Dwayne has a similar track record that way. And, you know, we're here to help in any way we possibly can. If you'd like to learn how to do it the way we do it, uh, we actually do have a uh, sales mastery and design mastery courses you can take online. And we have a ton of live classes as well that really help bring it all together and help you design and sell outdoor living spaces. So again, that's something you can get into if you'd like. Reach out to us if you're interested. If not, um, that's fine. Just uh, keep tuning in here. We've got lots more cool content coming, but never be afraid to reach out because ultimately what's what we love to do. We love to serve and love to, to be able to help you guys on your, your journey because I sure wish back in the day when I first started, I'd have somebody that would you know send me out uh, an option to to be able to talk and hopefully speed up the process from where I am now to where I was at the time until the you know, success that we have now. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We're, we're in the greatest time in the world right now. If you want to make something of yourself and be something, this is the time to get it. And Josh, you do the ending. You know, it's a great podcast. Thanks for watching um, Outer Spaces. Like I said, we're, we're talking about we're going to have training classes. There's just events about mental health and everything. It's all a part of this this whole thing because this is who we are and who we're going to be. And um, we'll see you guys on next episode. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Mm -hmm.